Bibles, you can grab your Bibles, and uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet one more time as we get ready to read the Word. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 6 today, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read uh, one verse from there, and then I'll be preaching from 1 Samuel 16 through about 21. Since lunch is here, we'll preach for a few hours and we don't have to worry about anything. It'll be here. No, I'm children's pastor, so I'm speaking to big kids today. So uh, I'll try to be short and to the point. But I believe God has something special for people in this house today. I believe he's given me a specific word for you today. And uh, I've been praying and believing for that to come to pass today and for his word to uh, be confirmed today. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9 says, and let us not be weary. Look at your neighbor say, don't be weary, neighbor. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, somebody shout due season. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Growing up in Blyville, there's a lot of fields around here. A lot of harvesting. I never learned how to farm a thing. I couldn't grow a thing in a garden, so don't ask me to help with that. But I know it's a long process to get to harvest time. But I believe harvest time is coming to this house, and harvest time is coming to your house. And so I want to encourage you today not to grow weary while doing good, but remember that you will reap in due season, and due season is coming to your house. Now, before we pray... I need you to elect a praise captain on your row, okay? I need you to elect somebody who's going to make sure everybody on your row stays awake and is going to shout even when there's nothing to shout about, okay? That you're going to be ready to go. Can we pray together and ask God to bless his word today? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence that is in this house today. God, we're honored to be here and celebrate our freedom. But God, we're most importantly thankful for the freedom that comes through your son, Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we pray today that you would anoint this word, that you would anoint the ears of your people to hear and receive your word today. God, I pray you encourage those who may be weary in this house today, that you would bring peace and strength to their house. And God, we thank you that due season is around the corner. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Today I want to talk about the gap between the prophecy and the promise. There's a prophecy given, and then we wait for that promise of that prophecy, and that gap is the process. Somebody say the process. Process is not a fun time, and we can get really weary in the process. You know, I think about being at home. There we go. See, kids' pastors already tore up the church house today. I'm sorry. I'll clean that up. I'm sorry. But the gap, the process, and we can grow weary at home. I think about being at home with my wife on a Friday or Saturday and hear those dreaded words of, it's time to clean this house up. And I know that means that I actually have to do something in that house today. And I can get really weary with her process because my process and her process is way different. You know, my process gets it done quick, you know, whether it's in the right order or where it needs to be, it's out of the way, you know. So, you know, I can clean clothes and I can fold them. Sometimes they just don't make it out of the hamper and back into the closet sometimes, you know, because you're going to wear those clothes that week, so you might as well just leave them right there where you can get to them to get there. But that's not her process. And, men, you know that our wives' process can make us really weary sometimes. But today I want to talk about something more important than that. And if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, we find here where Samuel is mourning. He's mourning because the people of Israel long before had asked for a king. They were tired of just the Lord being their king. They wanted a, a king of their own that they could worship. And so God gave them a king, and that was King Saul. And then King Saul had turned away. And so Samuel was mourning, and God spoke to Samuel and says, Don't mourn anymore over the past. And today I want to let you know, don't mourn anymore over the past. But look ahead to what God has in store for you. And he said, fill your horn with oil. And I hear the Lord saying today, it's time to fill your horn with oil today. He says, for I have chosen a new king, and he is in the town of Bethlehem. 
There was another king that was born in Bethlehem not long before that. His name was king, or not long after that, and his name was King Jesus that was born there. So Samuel goes to the home of Jesse, and there God says one of his sons will be the next anointed king. And he looks at the first son who looks very strong and, you know, like me, not really. But he looks strong and, man, he was good looking and surely this was the king. But God spoke to him and says, don't look at the outer appearance because I look at the heart. And God sees your heart today, Pathway. He sees your heart and he has good things in store for you. And so he went down one son, two sons, three sons, Four sons, five, six, seven. Seven. My boys just turned seven this past week, and I told them seven is the number of completion. So God says out of those seven sons, it was a complete no right there, a complete no for those. And he says, do you have any more sons? And even his own dad and brothers ignored David, who was tending sheep in the field. And some of you may feel like David, unnoticed, and nobody sees what you're going through. Nobody can see what God has put in you, and you feel ignored and overlooked, but God has not overlooked you today. He sees you. And so David was completely being obedient and tending to sheep out in the field. And so Samuel said, we will not sit down until he comes into this house. And so they brought him into the house, and in front of of his brothers, or his haters, as some like to say, he was anointed the next king. The prophecy given over his life that you will be the next king. And many of us have received a word from God, and it has encouraged and lifted our hearts. And when we receive that word, we're like, praise God. But then we go right back to the same situation, and it seems like nothing has ever changed. And that's exactly what happened to David. He went from being anointed king right back out to the sheep field where he was before. But he had no clue when he came in the door that day that his life was about to change. So I'd encourage you today not to grow weary while doing good. Because after that, he was called to the king's palace to play his harp for the king. And I want to let you know your giftings and your obedience will place you in the right spot at the right time. He was just tending sheep, but somebody knew there was a young lad in the field who could play a harp and brought him in to calm Saul and and to make that tormenting spirit leave. And so he would walk into that palace every day, the palace he was anointed to be king in. He could smell the smells of the palace. He could see the throne that he should be sitting on. He could see the rooms that should be his rooms. But he obediently played his harp for that king and just waited for the right time, waited for that due season when he would step into that throne and he would go back home to the sheep field day after day. But he continued to be obedient. Would you look at your neighbor and say, just be obedient, neighbor. Just be obedient to the word of God, and he's going to take care of you. He obediently obeyed his father one day and took a cheese bread and some cheese and some bread and took it to his brothers who were out in the field fighting the Philistine army. And when he got there, he found a whole army trembling in fear. And it says, he looked at them at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, and he said, do not let your heart fail you today. That word, that failed heart, is the same from Galatians 6, 9, where it says, do not grow weary. Weary, a failed heart. Don't have a failed heart. He says, for I will fight that Philistine today. And so he obediently obeyed and went and he battled that Philistine giant and took him down. Say, don't get weary. You can't get weary because due season is coming. Now, there's due dates on all kinds of things. You know, it's the first of the month, 
So now it's time to pay all the bills for the month. Praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. They come every month. You know, I I tend to pray and think one month they're not going to show up in the mailbox. But every time I go out there, I pull them out. Hallelujah. There they are. Praise the Lord. We have to make preparations for those due dates. Now, some people don't make preparations for them. They just sit them there and pray God will just miraculously make them disappear. But they keep haunting you back and back. If you don't make preparations, you won't be ready for that due date. Um, Ladies in the house know that there is a process and a due date for that baby to be born. And there are preparations that must be made along the way of that pregnancy to be prepared for that. And David was making preparations all throughout his life for that appointed due season when he would be king. He was making preparations, taking care of one lamb at a time. One lamb at a time would he sit out there and take care of. And he took care of it when when the lion came and tried to take the sheep away and he used his sling and he fought off that lion. And then a bear came and he fought off that bear just being obedient and making preparations one day at a time because little did he know that he would fight that giant one day. But all along the way, the preparations prepared him to fight that giant. And what you're doing when you're alone with God is either preparing you for your greatest inheritance or destroying your seed. I came to let you know today, some of us in our private time are destroying the seed God has placed in our life. God has a great inheritance for you. He has a great work for you to do. And sometimes we just come into church to check it off our list and say, I did it today. I even lifted my hands in worship today. I feel good about myself. And we go back to our normal selves throughout the week doing the same old normal things, not making preparations for that due season that God has for us. But there are some of you in here who God has seen your private prayers and is about to bless you publicly with what God has for you. Because the promise doesn't always come quickly, but it will come suddenly. You have to be ready for that suddenly moment. And all it takes is one phone call to suddenly change things in your life. I remember the day I got a phone call that suddenly changed everything in my life, that turned everything around and has me where I am today. I remember those suddenly handshakes that I had no clue I would shake a hand that day that would suddenly change my life. God has suddenly moments ready for you that you think, I've been waiting on these moments all my life. Where is it? God, where are you in this moment? And he doesn't always come quickly, but it will happen suddenly and change your life. And so he hears you, and I believe somebody suddenly is today. You've been believing for a healing. You've been believing for a lost son or daughter to come home, and God is suddenly going to turn things around in your life today. Can somebody say amen? Amen. David was the only one qualified to lift Goliath's sword. I tried to make sure I don't. I already knocked off water. I hope I don't tear the stage up. But God... David was the only one that could pick up Goliath's sword that day to kill off that giant. Not only did he knock him down with his sling, but he went and picked up the enemy's sword and cut off his head. What was meant to kill him, he used with the power of God to kill that enemy. I remember doing a science project one time at school. My dad helped me. My dad had to help me with a lot of stuff because, you know, I, I would mess it all up. So he would help me. And uh, so we got three sets of tomato plants, and we were going to uh, do this experiment. We did one the right way where you watered it so many times a day, gave it the proper amount of sunlight, things like that, see how it grow. We put one uh, in the dark, and I don't know what we did with it. And then uh, we had this last set that we just looked under the sink and pulled out every cleaning chemical we could find under the sink, mixed it all together, and that's what we watered those tomato plants with. And we would keep them there. And so we had to do this for a month. And so we would take pictures every day of the progress of the tomato plants to see how they were doing. Now, the ones 
that we did the proper way. They did, they did really good. They were looking good, growing very well. Uh, the ones that stayed in the dark the whole time didn't. They pretty much died. Then these ones we watered with all these chemicals that we thought for sure would just die in a hurry. They were actually the biggest plants at the end of the month. And we were like, this is amazing. Look at this. I mean, I took them and showed them off at my science fair that day. It's like, yeah, y'all want a tomato from here? I mean, look at this. This is awesome. Better than McDonald's tomatoes. You know, who knows what they grow. But it reminded me what was meant to kill that plant actually fueled that plant and helped it to grow. And the enemy is trying to destroy some people and trying to destroy some families. But if we'll remain obedient and not grow weary and stand on the promises of God, what was meant to destroy us, God will help us use to destroy the enemy who came after us. Now this sword was really heavy for a boy David's size. I mean, they say it weighed 200 pounds or more, and for a little teenage boy his size, that would have been huge for him to be able to pick up and actually chop off the head of that giant. And some of us have had some things happen in our life that seem almost too heavy to carry. Some of us have had to deal with the loss of a job, and we think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can carry this burden with me anymore. I remember when my dad obeyed the voice of the Lord and left one job with no job in the future and went for two weeks doing odds and ends stuff trying to make it. But God had just the perfect job waiting, and in that heavy moment, God gave him the authority to pick up what seemed heavy and too too heavy to carry. I remember this church, the leaders in this church, coming to my mom's uh, bedside when she was laying in their living room with a brain tumor, and she was laying there and couldn't lift her head up. And I remember Brother Rigney and the leaders of the church walking into my house as a young boy. I held the door open for I thought we was having a party that night, so many people coming in the house. And they walked into that house, and they prayed over my mother that night. And when she went to the doctors in Memphis to have her surgery to remove a brain tumor, and when they did one last scan, there was no tumor in her brain that day. Because what seems heavy, God will give you the anointing to pick up and carry. Now, I don't know what your heavy burdens are that you carry. And I know you've seen God do the miraculous in your life. He's done it in my life. I'll share this quick story. I have twin boys who just turned seven, and they look like they're in children's church today having a great time back there. Will and Zach, and uh, seven years ago in uh, 2010, when we found out we were going to have twins, I was super excited. I was like, yes. And so I called my mom and I told her we're having twins. I had to tell her 10 times to get her to believe me. I don't know why she wouldn't believe me. You know, Danny just said, I I don't know why, but I took 10 times to convince her, yes, we're having twins. And then we found out we were having boys and man, I was so excited. But it wasn't long into that pregnancy that we go for some normal ultrasound that they do with twins. And they took us in another room and uh, they brought some pictures of these gray blobs in the picture, and uh, they started showing us pictures of our baby's brains. And they said, uh, this one brain you see there, uh, you see back here, you see this little, it looked like an old-timey telephone. And they said, um, that's where his cerebellum should be, and the cerebellum is what controls your motor functions, to move your arms and legs and be able to walk and all that kind of stuff. And they said, there's no cerebellum there. That is a cyst that is growing there, and and we call that Dandy Walker Syndrome. And they said that cyst is is going to cause fluid to build up on his brain, and um, it's a very risky uh, pregnancy, almost too risky uh, to even go through, and uh, the odds are not in your favor of him surviving. And they said, and they encouraged us that day with some nice, eloquent words of selective reduction that day and wanted us to uh, remove that baby so that it didn't cause risk to mom 
and the other baby. But I just watched on a video screen before I was in that office of those two boys bouncing around and kicking on that screen while we did that. And I knew, I told God in that moment, God, you promised us these boys because earlier that year, a guy had prophesied over us and said, the Lord says a double portion blessing is coming to your house. I was shouting. I thought that was double portion in my finances. Hallelujah. I was ready to go, man. That was awesome. But that double portion blessing was those two boys. And I said, God, you promised us that. And God, we will not remove that promise. And I know your hand is upon them. So I told that lady, I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your your guidance and all this. But we're going to trust God in this. And we're going to let God be the ultimate decider in this situation. So we had to come back to the doctors about every week. And every week we would come and the news only got worse and worse. Because it went from watching his brain, making sure it didn't swell, to then they tell us that uh, the twins are having twin-to-twin transfusion, where one baby is giving all his nutrients to the other baby, so he's overfeeding that baby, and he's starving himself to death, and so they're both going to kill each other if this doesn't stop. And every week we would pray, we would fast. We had people in this church and all over this community, all over other states and other parts of the world that were praying for these babies. And every week we would go back and they says, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. If you come back next week and it's worse, we're going to have to send you to Cincinnati and we're going to have to do a little laser surgery to try to help with this matter. So we go to the doctor one last time and they say, it has stopped. That was the first good news we had gotten throughout this whole pregnancy. And I was shouting, praising God. I said, thank you, Jesus. We go to church that Sunday. Amy's not feeling very well. And so we finished church that day. And uh, we go home that night. And I slept like a baby that night, like I always do. I don't hear a thing in the house. And she was up all night, uh, sick, deathly sick. And she woke me up early that morning. And I'm not a morning person And uh, so I was lost and had no clue what was going on when she woke me up at whatever time in the morning that was. And she says, something's not right. I don't feel right. And I said, well, let's go. And so we drove 45 minutes to Duke Hospital. And uh, we thought we were going to get some super strong headache medicine uh, because this is June the 29th, and our boys are due in September. And so we get there. I drop her off at the front door. They meet us there take her up in a wheelchair. I go park the car. By the time I get up to whatever floor she's on, I walk in the room. They've got her laid on a bed, hooked up to every monitor in the world. They said her blood pressure is 220 over I don't know what, and uh, that she was going. And they started coming in with this medicine, said, we're going to give you this medicine for the baby's lungs. And I looked at the doctors. I said, are we having babies today? And they said, uh, no, we're hoping to make it. This was a Monday. They said, we're hoping to make it to Wednesday. I said, Wednesday? Wow, okay. And so we sit back a little bit. I'm oblivious to what's going on. And we're sitting there, and the next thing I know, they say, as soon as an OR opens up, we have to get her in there immediately to get these babies out if they have any chance of survival. And so I get on the phone with my parents. I call Amy's parents. Uh, My parents in Arkansas. Hers is in Virginia. We're in North Carolina. They start figuring out how to get there. We start praying. We get in there. Those babies are born at 27 weeks, five days. They pull out uh, Zachary first. And when they pulled Zachary out, he was no bigger than the palm of my hand. He would rest in. And I remember him crying. I just remember saying, oh, how small he is. And so then uh, something was going on, and they gave Amy some more medicine. And when they pulled William out, he was the same size, but he was purple, and he wasn't breathing. And you can look at his records, and there's a zero on everything for the first few minutes of life. And they finally get him breathing and get him going. And so they're, they're tiny, and when I finally get to go to the room an hour later to check on them, uh, they're hooked up to an IV in every foot and every hand and lines running to them and there you see their little chest gasping for some air and going and I just kept praying and believing God these are the promises you promised me and in that moment that was the heaviest moment I've experienced in my life is to watch my babies fight for their life 
to have the air to breathe. And so we go on, and the doctors come and talk to me a few minutes later, and they say, well, no, it's not great, but we're going to work with them, and we're going to do our best and, and try to get them growing and, and do what we can to help them. I said, are they going to live? They said, they are right now, and we're going to keep working with them and keep going. So uh, it was just a couple of weeks later. We go home to change clothes and grab some stuff so we could come back. And no sooner than we gotten home, we get a call from the doctors, and they say, you need to get up here immediately. Will is hemorrhaging in his lungs, and there's nothing else we can do, and we need you here as soon as you can. We fly back to the hospital. We walk in, and I can remember it to this day. When I walked into that room, there were five or six nurses and a doctor, and they were just standing back from the bed looking at this baby, and there was a container by his bed that was half full of blood. And uh, they said he's got a hole in his heart, and they were planning to do a surgery, and they said, but uh, he's hemorrhaging too bad, and every time we try to adjust him and move him, it gets worse. And so we have to, we're just, there's nothing we can do. And so they pretty much wanted us to tell Will goodbye because they said there's nothing else we can do. And so I said, well, there's nothing else you can do, but there is something God can do. Amen? And so I went up to that bed. I couldn't touch him, but I could lay my hands on that box, and I began to pray over that baby, and I pleaded the blood of Jesus, and I said, by your stripes, William is healed. William is our promise. He will not die, but he will live. And we continued to pray, and the nurses stood back, and I think they were praying too, and we were all praying together. That was a Saturday. By Monday morning, William took his first drops of milk that he had had that whole time, and they had seven surgeries between the two of them. Both of them have brain malformations that if you looked at them, you'd never have a clue. I love going to the doctors now because every time we see a new doctor and they get the records, they open it up and they read all these records, and then they look at those two boys with the weirdest look on their face, and they go, those are not the same two boys that I'm reading about right here on this paper. And I say, I know it's because God has done a work in their life and he has healed them and they're doing great and mighty things. So don't get wore down with the heavy things in life because due season is coming if you won't grow weary. You know what puts out a candle fire? If you had a candle lit and you just, you could blow out that candle. But if there was a wildfire like there was in the Smokies last year, and you put a little bit of air on a forest fire, it's going to spread like wildfire. So what was meant to put out a fire can actually set it ablaze. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you'll keep your eternal flame hot, if you'll, keep, if you'll stay close to this word and if you'll focus on staying in the presence of God and keeping that eternal fire as hot as possible, when the enemy comes your way and tries to blow things out in your life, he's going to realize he picked the wrong person to mess with that day because when he does a little, it's just going to fire you up even more because it's not our job to react to situations in our life. If our eternal flame is hot, when those situations come up in our life, we respond to those situations with the Word of God. They don't catch us off guard. I mean, we may not have been expecting it, but we still know God is in control. And so it doesn't matter what happens to me tomorrow or Monday, I still know God sits on the throne. And I won't react and fall apart when things start crumbling around me, but I will stand on the promises of God and trust in him. Everybody say, trust in God. Michelle, if you could come play something for me as we get ready to close up here. Even through all of this, after David had had this mighty victory, and the Israelite army began to say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And they begin to chant and cheer him on. We flip on over, and in 1 Samuel 21, we find David running for his life. Running because Saul and his army is trying to find him and kill him. He is hiding out in caves. The man anointed to be king 
who had seen God help him lift up the heavy things in life. But he is hiding in a cave. I wonder how many of us are hiding out in caves today, worried for our life, just want the enemy to leave us alone. Just leave me alone. You know, if he's fighting you, that means God's got something really good in store for you. I tell my boys all the time, boys, you're going to do even greater things than you could ever imagine or think as much as the enemy fights you, even to this day. Every time we get ready to go minister somewhere, it can be here in the States, even this past February when me and my wife flew to Uruguay, and the day we're leaving, William all of a sudden comes down with a huge fever, not eating, dehydrated. We get to the Atlanta airport. They're taking him to the hospital to get fluids. And I'm like, what in the world? And we had to fly to Miami before we took off on our long flight. And we said, we'll see how he is when we get to Miami. And then we'll turn around and come back if we have to. And so he fought and he was sick that whole time. We go to take 60 kids to camp last week. Some kids that had never been outside their front yard. We're going to take them to camp for the week of a lifetime. And both those boys get sick. So we get ready to go. It's just because the enemy knows God has something good in store. So don't respond, but don't react, but respond to those and stand on the faithfulness of God. So David comes out of that cave and he finds himself crawling into a temple. And he asks the priest there if he has something to eat. And he says, well, all I have is this show bread, or as it's called as well, presence bread. He's feasting on the presence of the Lord. You know, sometimes that's the best thing we could do is just feast on the bread of life and feast on his presence. So as he's eating that bread and getting his strength back, he knows he has an enemy to go and fight and conquer. And he's got to get the strength, but he has nothing to fight with. So he asks the priest, priest, do you have a sword that I could use? And the priest goes behind the door, pulls out this sword wrapped in an ephod, and when he unwrapped it, it was the same sword, Goliath's sword. That reminded him, God was with me then, and he's with me now. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the problem we're facing, we just need to stop and remember all the times God has been there before. God's been too good to me for me to give up now. Life's not perfect. I have my bad days, and things aren't just rosy in our family all the time. But God is faithful. And if we'll feast on his presence, we'll see great things happen. So may I remind you today, before you say, I give up, and before you say, well, I'm too old. My season's done passed me by. If you still have breath in your lungs, God still has work for you to do on this earth. Pick up your sword. Pick up the word of God. And remember and speak those promises over your life. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Pathway. I declare a harvest is coming to this house that you cannot contain. Brother Danny, I don't know what you're thinking, what you're planning, but God told me to say, it's not big enough. 
because he has a harvest that you cannot contain coming to this house. I don't say this stuff. It has stirred in my spirit for a month. And he says October. October. Somebody say October. October. There's a harvest that you cannot contain that is coming. Continue to make the preparations for that due season that is coming. And lift up the name of Jesus. Will you stand to your feet right now? Will you lift your hands all across this sanctuary today? I asked the worship team if they could help me with this song that I thought fit appropriately with where God was taking us today. So I'm going to ask you right now, I don't know what season you're in in your life. I don't know where you find yourself. If you find yourself hiding in a cave, or if you find yourself in a sheep field just being obedient with the daily grind, just waiting on that suddenly moment, I'm here to tell you spiritual rain is coming to your house today. Will you receive the rain that the Spirit has for you today? Michelle, will y'all sing a few lines of that song as we worship for a few moments? I'm going to ask nobody to move. We're going to pray in just a moment. But I want us to invite the presence of His Spirit to reign on our lives today, to reign on that dry, weary land, and let us know that harvest is coming to our home. Can you sing that right now? Hear the word roaring with thunder, with a new future to tell. For the dry season is over, there is a cloud beginning to
first of all, head bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I would tell you that's the most important due season God has for your life. Is the day you accept him as your savior. It will turn your life around. If you've never fully surrendered your life to him, today is that perfect day to experience true freedom in your life. To say, Jesus, I accept you as my savior. When I count to three, if you say, I want to accept him as my savior, I surrender my life to him today. I want you to lift your hands up high on the count of three. One, two, three. Don't hesitate. Just lift. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And I want to pray with you today to receive Jesus as your Savior. Now, there are others of you in here who find yourself in a weary land. But I tell you, rain is coming to your home today. Spiritual rain that is going to raise up a harvest that you cannot contain today. So if you find yourself in that weary land, would you not sit back in a cave but as a sign of surrender and as a sign of obedience to God saying, God, I trust you today. I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't understand. Uh, things have gotten worse, not better. But I trust you today, God. I stand on your promises today. Would you step out of your seat and would you find your way up to this altar today? And can we worship and pray together today? That is, we agree that the due season is coming. Would you come now? If you raised your hand for salvation, if you find yourself in that weary land, would you step out today? And would you come to the front as they sing, We Receive Your Rain right now? Let's sing that out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Don't stand back. Receive your rain. Can you sing that out? We receive. We receive your rain. Hallelujah. We receive your rain. Could I get some leaders in this church to help me pray in just a moment? Receive your rain. I want us to sing that bridge. That declares every promise will come to pass. Can we declare that today? Like a flood, we receive your love I want you to lift your hands as we declare this over your life today. You sing that line right there, Michelle. Now with grace and anticipation, we await the promise to come. Yes. Everything that you have spoken.
refreshing rains are coming over your home today. I pray lost sons and daughters are coming home today. In a suddenly moment, God, they cannot outrun the grip of your hand on their life, and they will come home in the name of Jesus. I pray financial blessing over every home in this church today. God, that your blessings would overflow and come into their life, that you would meet every need more than abundantly in their life, Lord Jesus. I pray for healing in this house today, that you would, we curse every sickness. We bind it in the name of Jesus. We declare it will line up with the word of God, and we declare by your stripes, we are healed today. We receive your reign today, your healing reign, your refreshing reign, your blessing reign today. We receive it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Danny, with you and the leadership team gather right here, I want to pray over you before I hand it back over. I invite all the leadership. If you would come gather around your leaders today. I've grown up in Blible. I hear the stories. I lived them. Sometimes we feel overlooked. I feel like nothing's coming here. Lord, have mercy. Nothing's coming here. And it never looks better sometimes, you think, and then it starts to look worse. But I declare God has not overlooked you today. And I don't want you to get distracted with looking well if we were there or if we had this. Or if we did that, God has placed you here for such a time as this. And I declare spiritual rain and refreshing and harvest is coming to this region. Amen. I see it as clear as day as when that Mississippi River overflows its banks. That the Spirit of God is about to overflow and flood this region. And cover this region with His love. Would you gather around them? I just want to pray over them today as they continue to sing. And can we agree together? He says, wherever any two or three are come together in his name, there he is in the midst of us. Can we agree on that today? God, I thank you that harvest is coming to this region and that you have raised these leaders up. You have put them here for such a time as this and your spiritual reign is going to flood this region. God, I pray for spiritual insight in their hearts and in their minds. God, that you would undergird them with strength, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you give them divine wisdom 
on how to reach the youth of this community. God, that they will sense a love like never before when they come into this house. That it will transform outside the walls of this church and that it will begin to transform this city and this region. We thank you, Jesus. Everything. It will come to pass. Let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done. going to do that. How many is going to receive it? We'll say, Pastor, I'm still trying to figure it out. Quit trying to figure it out. Just receive it. There's some things you can't figure out with God. Just receive what he wants to bless you with. Just open up your heart to him and receive it in the name of Jesus today. Thanks, Brother Chris. Due season. Due season. 